Good morning, and welcome to the Every Life Matters broadcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Lexington, Tennessee. This is Pastor Dr. Clay Hallmark, and I want to welcome you today to our broadcast of exciting worship music and practical, relevant Bible teaching. Stay tuned to the end of our broadcast, where we will answer the question, How can I have the assurance of heaven? You will also hear about the ways that you can connect online to the ministries and worship services of First Baptist Church. Here at First Baptist Church, every life matters to the Lord and to us. We invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for small group Bible study classes that we call Sunday School and for morning worship at 10.15 a.m. First Baptist Church is located at 50 Stanford Avenue, just one block east of the courthouse in the heart of downtown Lexington. Now, join the church family of First Baptist Church Lexington, Tennessee, as we worship together and hear a practical message from God's Holy Word.
Oh 
I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to look in two places. The first is our theme verse, which is Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14, which we're going to read on the screen in just a minute together. And then I want you to look over in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we'll begin reading there, a familiar passage probably to many of you, in verse 34. We are in our second week of our church-wide summer sermon series that's called Go for the Goal. Go for the Goal. Now, our goal is to live our lives in such a way that when we cross the finish line of life, God the Father looks at us and says to us, well done, good, faithful servant. That's the goal. Last week, we talked about how if we're going to reach that goal, we've got to learn to think right. We've got to think right about who God is, and we've got to think right about who we are in relationship to God. This morning, we want to talk about how to aim right. In other words, we want to take a close look at how to set the direction of our lives in the right way, that our aim, our goal, our focus is what it ought to be as the people of God so that we can reach the goal of well done, good and faithful servant. Now, our theme verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, as it comes up on the screen, read this out loud with me right now. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I told our first service crowd this morning that, that when you look around the church and you think about Christian people's life, there's one thing that is obviously missing that is found in this verse that Paul says, I've got that we need. Did you see what Paul said in verse 12? He said, I've been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, I wonder this morning, have you been taken hold of by Christ Jesus? Have you? Have you really? Have you really been taken hold of by Christ Jesus? Because here's what I know. If, if Christ Jesus really takes hold of us, it ought to change us. We ought to be different than what we are. <clears throat> Paul says, let me tell you something. I can forget those things that are behind me. And I can keep my aim and my focus on that which is ahead. I want to get to that heavenly calling, that finish line. And I want to finish well. And you say to yourself, Paul, how can you do that? How can you forget the things that are behind? How can you press forward? How can you keep your aim? How can you keep your focus as a child of God? How does it happen? And Paul says, oh, it happens because Christ took hold of me. And I want Christ to take hold of you. I want Jesus to take hold of your life today and be a part of who you are. I want you to learn to aim right. Olympic athletes all have one goal. And it's not just to be on the Olympic team. It's not just to walk in the opening ceremony. It's not just to wear the uniform. You see, every Olympic athlete goes to the Olympics in Tokyo this summer with one goal in mind. They want to win. If you don't want to win, why would you show up? You want to be successful. You want to stand on the podium with a gold medal around your neck, wearing your country's colors. <coughs> you want to hear your national anthem played. 
You want to see your flag raised. You want to win. Everything the athlete does, the goal, the priority, the aim, the direction for which they set their life, the motivation for all the sacrifices and the decisions and the hard work, the reason they get out of bed is because they want to reach the goal. They're going for the goal. They want to have the prize at the end. And you know the same ought to be true for our Christian lives. God's present to us is His salvation. When we ask Jesus to forgive our sin and be the Lord of our life, salvation is the free gift God offers to you and me. We can't work for it. We can't do enough good things. We can't earn it. Salvation is a gift that we simply receive. However, the praise of heaven, the goal, the hearing well done, good and faithful servant is a prize to be obtained. While salvation is, is a present, the well done is a prize to be obtained. It's the goal that we're reaching for. Here's a, here's a good way to think of it. We do not work to earn our salvation because it is a gift. However, as a result of our gift of salvation, we must choose to work and serve the Lord and others every day out of motivation of love because He first loved us. That's what it means to aim right. We must set the direction of our life. We must fix our aim. We must clearly do the will of God for our lives if we're going to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, when we come to Matthew 22, the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been trying to trick Jesus. They've been trying to trip him up. The Sadducees had just attempted this and it failed. And so the Pharisees, in all of their pride and all of their arrogance, they said, well, we're going to do what the Sadducees could not do. We're going to get our very best expert to ask Jesus a question and trip him up and make him look foolish in front of everyone so these people will stop following him. And so when we come to our passage of Scripture this morning, we see that's exactly what happens. And what Jesus does in answering the question, he tells us who we are as his followers and how we are to aim our lives in the right direction so that we can cross the finish line and hear him say, well done. He tells us what we need to do, in other words. So look with me in beginning in verse 34 of Matthew 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together in the same place. They're going to really show Jesus. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest. Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. You know, if you're here this morning and you're wondering, you know, what is it that God wants me to do? What does God want me to do? What should be the aim of my life? It's actually very simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
Did you notice the key word in that passage is the word love? The direction and the aim of our lives should be set on love. Just as a compass in your hand always points north, you as a Christian person here today, if you're truly a child of God, your life ought to always point toward the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rewards of heaven are passed out by how we love God and how we love our neighbor, and the key is love. So let me show you how to set your life and make sure you aim right by helping you understand what love really is and what love really does and what it really looks like today. The issue before us is love. Two quick things about love. Number one, love is obedience. Love is obedience. Now, we don't like to think of love in this way. We don't like to think of love in terms of obedience. And yet the Bible says, Jesus says, we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. In Hebrew thinking, the heart, soul, and mind were the places where decisions are made, where emotions are felt, where thinking is done, where secrets are hidden, and it is the source of our desires. In other words, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind means you are to love God, listen to me, with every part of your being. With all there is of you, you should love God in full surrender and full commitment because love is obedience to God's will and love is obedience to God's word. This love we're talking about is not some touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling or experience that people talk about in our world today. Listen to me. Love for God is a choice that you make, not a condition of your life. Love for God ought to be a fact and never a feeling. It's not about do I feel like I ought to love God or not. You either love God and make him the priority of your life or you don't love God and other people and other things are the priority. It's that simple. It's black and white. There's no in-between. You either love God and obey his commands or you don't. Simple. There's no in-between. If you are trying to live in-between, then I hate to tell you, you don't love God. You say, well, I'm offended by that. Well, you come and apologize to me when it's over and I'll forgive you. Listen, you can't have it both ways. You either love God or you don't love God. Love is obedience. Listen to what Jesus said about a Christian person's life. He says in Matthew 7, 18 through 20, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus... By their fruit, you will recognize them. If I walk up to an apple tree, guess what I'm probably going to find on the apple tree? Apples. If you walk up to a banana tree, you're going to find bananas. If you walk up to a peach tree, you're going to find peaches. When you walk up to a blueberry vine, guess what you're going to find? Blueberries. Because the tree produces that kind of fruit. And likewise, in our lives, we produce fruit. 
And that fruit that we produce is not just the fruit of the Spirit, but before even that comes about, it is found in obedience to God. You can tell someone belongs to the Lord because they're being obedient to the Lord's commands. If you're not being obedient to the Lord's commands, you can't love God. You say, who came up with that? Well, I didn't. God did. You see, we as the people of God, our first aim ought to always be to love God. To love God. Unless you love God, you won't serve God. Unless you love God, you won't spend time in prayer. Unless you love God, you won't give through your church. If you don't love God, you won't witness. It's just that simple. Example after example could be given. Jesus said as much. Remember, this didn't come from me. It came from Jesus. John 14, 15, Jesus clearly tells us this. He says, if you love me, you will what? Obey what I command. Read that out loud with me. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Jesus did not say you might obey, you could obey, you think about obeying, you consider obeying, you obey when it's convenient for you. He said, if you love me, you will obey, period, the end, might drop Jesus. There's going to be a lot of people that's going to claim to love Jesus. There's going to be a lot of people that claim that they belong to Him. Jesus said even in, in the end day, people say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not do all these things for you? Do we not testify in your name and prophesy in your name and drive out demons? And didn't we do all this stuff in your name and all this church stuff? Didn't we go to Sunday school? Didn't we sing in the choir? Didn't we give? Didn't we? And Jesus is going to say, let me tell you something. Depart from me. I don't have any idea who you are. So how practical is this? Love is obedience. If you are to stand before the Lord and receive the power of heaven's praise, the name of your life must be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love is obedience. Many people who say they love Jesus just don't get it in the church. A couple of years ago, when we got home from Brazil with the students, I got a Facebook message from an individual who lives in our community that many of you would probably know if I called his name. He doesn't go to our church, but he is an active member of another church here in our community. And when the person sent me the Facebook message, he sent me a statement, and then he followed it up with a question. Here's the statement. Pastor, I'm glad your mission trip went well. Here's the question. But with that said... Why would your church spend that much money to go overseas to tell people about Jesus and to do mission work when there are so many people over here in this area who need to know about Jesus and need to receive the ministry that you wasted the money on in another country? <laughs> I had to wait a few days and pray before I could respond to that. Because... My first thought was, thank you, Lord, that they go to Brother So-and-So's church because if they were here, we'd have to kick them out, Lord. I just can't take that. I mean, I just... 
Some of you here today may have actually thought that or you may have been guilty of saying the same thing yourself. So because I have the gift of, my, one of my spiritual gifts is sarcasm, I responded after a few days. And I, and I said to this, this, this fine man that I, I, I've eaten lunch with and know him real well, first I responded that here at First Baptist Church, everybody that went overseas on that mission trip from our students to adults are also the same people who go to Faith Evangelism that go out every Sunday afternoon and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. So we didn't go there and do what we didn't already do here in our own community. Secondly, I reminded him the First Baptist Church has more ministries that are ministering the real needs of real people in Henderson County of all ages than any other church in this county. Thirdly, I said, let me ask you some very impersonal questions. Question one, what ministry are you personally involved in in our city and through your church that's reaching the needs of real people? Question number two, do you tithe through your local church so that your church can do the ministries that meet the needs of our local people? Question number three, when was the last time you personally told someone about Jesus yourself? To which I got this response the next day. I don't feel comfortable answering any of those questions. At that point, you know, you really ought to let it go. But again, I thought it was time for a sermon. And so I responded, Jesus said that if we truly love him, we will obey his commands. Jesus' command is to go into all the world and make disciples. When we are obedient to this command, we are loving God and showing his love to people everywhere that we go. Period. Amen. Our lives must aim right, folks. This means that first and foremost, we must truly love the Lord Jesus. We truly love God. How do you know if you truly love God? You spend your days obeying His commands without question, without excuse. You do it because you love him. If you love God, you know what you do? You go on mission. You don't pour them out of those who go on mission. If you love God, you tithe. You don't complain because the preacher preached a sermon on tithing. The only folks who complain about a tithing sermon are folks who don't tithe. So if I were you, I wouldn't complain because you're saying to everybody, I don't tithe. Don't complain. You're giving yourself away. It's more fun to try to pretend. If you love the Lord, you'll tell other people about him. Don't we tell other people about something we love? If somebody goes to a new restaurant and they love that restaurant, you know what they do? They get on Facebook and social media and they can't wait to tell everybody, oh, it was just so good. I mean, you ought to have seen this dessert they had it stacked up this high. It only has 17,000 calories, and I've got diabetes now, but you need one. But Jesus, who dies on the cross for our sin, silence. The issue of our lives begins with our love for God. I don't know about you, but 
with my life. I want my life to aim right. I want to go to the finish line one day and I want to hear God the Father say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I obeyed his command in a practical way while living my life. Love is obedience. Second, really quick thing. Love is opportunistic. It's not just obedience, it's opportunistic. If we are to aim right with our lives as the followers of Jesus, then it all begins with loving God with our entire being, but it doesn't stop there. Don't miss this. Love is the foundation of God's greatest command for you and me. That love for God does not end with our love for God. Our love for God is an opportunity for us to extend His love to others. You cannot say, I love God, but you don't love others. It doesn't matter who others are. Doesn't matter if they look like you, smell like you, they're the same ethnicity as you, on the same socioeconomic level as you, live in the same place you live or live in some other place. You cannot say as a child of God, I love God, but you don't love others. You can't do that. Love is opportunistic because it seeks ways to show God's love to other people. I wonder, are you really seeking ways to show God's love to others? In this past week, could you stand up here and tell me, this week I have sought to show love to others, and could you be practical and tell us how you've done that just because you love Jesus? Statistics say that 80% of the people that walk through the doors on the church on any given Sunday cannot give one example. Now, if I said, show us ways that you love yourself, <laughs> 100%. Everybody could give an example. The Bible shows us that since God loves us, he wants us to love one another. To do that, we must learn to be unselfish. That goes against everything the world teaches us to do. We want to live life like it's all about us, but it's not about us. It's about the Lord and Him and His will and His commands and loving others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow the way of love. I like the way the Living Bible says it. It says, let love be your greatest aim. That's so good. Relationships with our neighbors built on love ought to be a priority. It ought not be something that is to be endured or squeezed into a busy schedule. What we need to do is love others as we love God. Two quick things. Number one, love is evident in how we treat our neighbor. Mother Teresa once said this. It's not what you do, but how much love you put into it that matters. We will be remembered how we treat others and show them love. One day people may not remember your name or your face or your title or your position or where you lived or how much money you have or what kind of car you drove, but people will never forget how you treated them. We must treat others with love and respect and kindness and with care. Christian people, especially Christian people at First Baptist Church, ought to be the most loving, kind, giving caring people in this whole community. When people meet you, you ought to be so loving, giving, and kind that they say, I bet you go to First Baptist Church, don't you? Because that ought to be how you're known. 
Love is evident in how we treat our neighbor. Secondly, love is evident in how we offer time to our neighbor. If you want to know your priorities and how much you really love others, just look at how much time you invest in them. Love is not spoken words. Love is found in invested time. You can tell your children or your grandchildren all you want to. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. But if you spend no time with your children and grandchildren, you don't sit down and communicate with your children and grandchildren, you don't go to their special events, you don't invest in their life, then your words, I love you, mean absolutely nothing. Because love is spelled T-I-M-E. We show the love that we have for the Lord by loving other people. And we do it in our willingness to invest our time in them, to minister to them, to meet their needs, to listen to them, to walk alongside them, to hold them accountable, to be with them through difficult times, to pray over them, to share and show them the love of Jesus. Giving your time is a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice of love. Love means you give yourself to others and put them first. So let me just let me say this to you. The finish line is ahead. We're not at the finish line yet. We might get there today. But we're not there yet. This morning we're still in the race, which means we still have an opportunity to change our direction if we're going in the wrong direction. We still have a time to change our aim and set our aim if we are off course. It's time to get back on the road if we've been on the side of the road or detoured. Today we can do something about our love for God and our love for others. Pastor, when should we do this? Do it right now. Right now is all you have. Right now. Right now. We're in the race. Right now we have the opportunity to get it right. Paul said as much in Galatians 6.10. He said, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Listen to the urgency of showing love to our neighbor, expressed in an amazing verse found in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 28. It says, do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you know, when you now have it with you. Man, I like that verse. He says, stop telling your neighbor, listen, I'll make a difference in your life tomorrow. I'll minister to you tomorrow when you ought to be ministering to them right now and you can minister to them right now. Right now. Right now. When should we minister? Right now. Not tomorrow. Right now. When should we serve? Right now. Not tomorrow. Right now. When should we share the love of Jesus? Not tomorrow. Right now. When should we show love? Not tomorrow, but right now. Because we only have right now. Right now. Right now. There's a lot of you in here this morning that need to make some sort of decision for Jesus. I tell you like the writer of Proverbs, don't say to the Lord, come back later. Come back around at revival time. Come back around next year. Come back around, Holy Spirit, when I'm done doing what I want to do. And then I'll give myself to you. When right now, you can do it. Right now, you can be saved. Right now, your sins can be forgiven. Right now, 
you can put your life on the road to heaven. Right now, Christian, you can get out of the gutter and get on the road with the Lord. Right now, you can repent of your sin and change direction and do what God's called you to do. Right now, you can volunteer for ministry. Right now, you can answer God's call. We're going to the invitation this morning. We're going to do so with five questions. I want you to listen to these questions. I want you to be honest with yourself, and I want you to answer these questions. Question number one. How will you explain to God all those times you have put non-essential, temporary, and unimportant things, events, and issues ahead of your love for Him, obeying Him, and showing love for others? How are you going to explain that to God? Now, Lord, I know you, you told me to love you first and love others, but I was just so busy loving myself. Question two. How will those excuses you're making right now to remain disobedient to God and not do what he's called you to do, how do those excuses sound to the Holy Spirit of God right now? Some of you know you need to come and make public a profession of faith in the Lord. You've been saved, but you've been baptized. Some of you need to come and join this church and be baptized. Get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. Some of you need to come and join this church. Some of you need to come to this altar and repent of sin. See, to do those things means you've got to be obedient to God. If you love the Lord, oh, you love God, oh, I sure do, then how come you're not doing what he's asked you to do? Why have you put it off? Why do you keep sitting there in your pew? Invitation after invitation. What excuse sounds good to the Lord today? Number three. <clears throat> How will you explain those times when other projects or things were more important to you than people in loving your neighbor? Number four. Who in your life do you need to start spending more time with? Investing in, discipling, mentoring, and praying over. Who's that person? And finally this morning, what needs to be cut out of your schedule that is so busy, out of your checkbook and off your calendar so that you can truly love God and love others the way you're supposed to? We're going for the goal. We want to cross the finish line and hear God the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. If that's going to happen, we've got to think right about who God is and who we are. We talked about that last week. We've also got to set aim to be right. We've got to learn to truly love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. But it doesn't end there. We've also got to be loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we really love ourselves. So this morning, how are you going to respond? If you're out there watching online, you can go to fbclexington.com slash Sunday Central. There's a red tab that says responding to God. You can click on that. You can respond to the invitation that way. Or you can text us at 81010 and put in the subject line at FBC online. That'll come directly to us and we'll respond to you. Or you can email me at clayhallmark at fbclexington.com. If you're right here in the building, 
You can't just sit there anymore. It's time to do something. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Okay, what's he commanding you to do right now? Whatever it is, it's time to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray in the quietness this moment, as you have revealed to us your command, that we would be willing to respond. That as these come to stand across the front, Lord, to receive these who will come today, Father, that you would prepare our hearts, that the Holy Spirit of God would move in us and through us. We've played games long enough. We've made enough excuses. We've justified our position. Well, I believe we ought to do this, and I believe that this is not right for me or that's right for me. It has nothing to do with our position. God has everything to do with your position and the position we put you in. If we love you, we will obey your commands and we'll stop making excuses. Simple. And yet, Lord, there's a spiritual battle going on right here in the hearts and minds of people. And during this invitation, you're either going to win the victory or Satan's going to win the victory. And we're the ones that's going to choose that. We want you to have victory in our lives right now, Father. Help us to come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Personal question. What do you personally think it takes for a person to go to heaven? This is one of life's most important questions that every one of us must answer. Many people answer that question in a number of ways. Some say that in order to go to heaven, you have to follow a bunch of religious rules by keeping the Ten Commandments, obeying the Golden Rule, or having a lot of Bible knowledge. Others say it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere about it. They would say that there are many roads that lead to heaven. I also know many people who answer that question about how to go to heaven by listing all the good things that they do to help others in our world and the good deeds that they perform and how they volunteer in community organizations. In fact, I was told just the other day that in order to go to heaven, a person had to be a member of a certain kind of church or they had to be a part of a certain type of religious denomination. Some of you may answer that question today about going to heaven by saying, Pastor, I really just have no idea. Regardless of which one of these things you may or may not believe, I want to tell you how the Bible answers this question. It's not important how a denomination answers this question, and it's not important how a church answers this question. What is important is how the Bible answers this question. So what does it take for a person to go to heaven? Well, the Bible answers that question with just one word. And that one word is the word faith. F-A-I-T-H, faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, By grace are you saved through faith. That word faith made up of five letters, has letters that stand for something very important. Let me show you what I'm talking about. First of all, the letter F in the word faith stands for forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness because of the sin that is in our life. The Bible tells us that God's forgiveness is for all of us because we need it. The sin in our life is seen in the fact that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that in Romans 3.23. It also says in Ephesians 1.7, In Jesus we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. 
Every person we know has sinned. I have sinned, you have sinned, every person you've ever met has sinned. And we need God's forgiveness because of our sin. So F is for forgiveness. The letter A in the word faith is for available. You ask the question, what's available? The answer to that question is, God's forgiveness is available to us. In fact, it's available for all of us. Jesus one time said this to Nicodemus in John 3 and verse 16. He said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. When Jesus says God so loved the world, he's talking about each and every one of us. God loves us. So he sent Jesus into this world for us so that we might all have forgiveness available to us. But just because forgiveness is available to all of us, we don't receive it automatically. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The question is, why not? Well, that brings us to the third letter in the word faith, F-A-I. I stands for impossible. According to the Bible, do you know that it's impossible for us to get into heaven on our own? We can't do enough good things. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't live a good enough life. We can't follow enough rules. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, By grace are you saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't work our way into heaven. It's impossible for God to allow sin into heaven. So how can we, who are sinners, get there? Well, that brings us to the next letter in the word faith. And that letter is T, F-A-I-T. And T stands for turn. Now let's suppose you're driving down the road right now and someone from the back seat says to you, stop, turn. What would they be asking you to do? They'd be asking you to stop and change directions, wouldn't they? Well, in the Bible, the word turn is the word repent. It means to change directions or to go a different way. Jesus tells us, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. We've got to turn from our sin and ourselves and trying to make life work on our own and turn to the Savior. Here's what Jesus says in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way into heaven, and that is through Jesus. By turning from our sin and ourselves and turning to Jesus, the Savior, for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. That brings us to the last letter in the word faith, F-A-I-T, 
H. H stands for heaven. The Bible says that we can first of all have heaven here. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean life is going to be perfect for us on this earth, but it does mean that no matter what we're facing on this life, and in this earth, whether it be a hard time or a good time, Jesus is always there with us right here and now. So heaven begins here. But we also have heaven promised in the hereafter. Jesus said in John 14, 3, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. Do you know that all the years that I've been in ministry, I've never met one person who didn't want to go to heaven. But I have met many people, maybe even you, who's never done what the Bible says it takes to go to heaven. You've thought about it, you've wanted to, you've just never done it. The Bible says to go to heaven, we must put our faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation and allow him to forgive our sins. How do we do that? We do that by talking to God. We do that through prayer. Maybe right now you want to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and have the assurance of eternal life. If you do, why don't you pray this prayer with me right now? And say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. And right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive all of my sin, to come into my life and take control. I want you to become the boss and the Lord over all of my life. And starting right now, I'm going to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me and giving me the assurance of heaven and eternal life. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer with me just now and you really meant it. Maybe you have more questions about what it means to have the assurance of heaven. Why don't you contact me here at First Baptist Church? You can email me at clayhallmark at fbclexington.com. I hope to hear from you very soon. And let me invite you to join us at 10.15 a.m. this morning at First Baptist Church for worship in person. If you can't join us in person, join us on the live stream at 10.15 a.m. Just go to our website, www.fbclexington.com. This has been the Every Life Matters broadcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Lexington, Tennessee.